Hey, it's time for the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. It is good to be back with you, Rick, and back with all of our, both of our listeners <laughs> today. Both, is, of them, huh? both of them, you know, <laughs> it might just be us, uh, but we Hopefully appreciate not. all, all the folks out there. Yes, we appreciate everyone out there listening. Um, we have... Uh, in, in true SNL style, we got a great show for you today. Uh, <laughs> we'll, make the, we'll see if ma- it turns out that way. <laughs> we're, we're making it up as we go along, as as we are prone to do. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's fun fun stuff, and um, we'll just uh, have to see how things go. But uh, we have a fun show because we took our uh, annual trip back up to the top of Mount Evans here in Colorado. One of our wildlife, one of our very happy places. It's great. It's, it's a little, awesome. It's it's not hard, but there are some interesting things because you're you're driving up to uh, shooting locations above treeline, and the a- absence of oxygen can get quite, uh, shall we say, noticeable. Yeah, and timberline here in Colorado is like around eleven thousand feet, and we were well above that. Yeah, we were at thirteen plus in the. Uh, top of that road ends at over 14,000 feet up. Yeah. And um, don't ask me what that is in meters, but it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, (laughs) It's a couple thousand meters high. Um, So anyway, uh, but the reason we go is a, it's fun. It's nice to get up there. Um, It's easy to get to. Uh, It's a paved road. Not always the best quality pavement, but it's paved all the way to the top. In fact, it's the highest paved road in the continental U S I believe. Right. I think so. So there is that. Okay. Slightly higher than Pike's Peak. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me think. What Which else isn't is as pretty, in no, my opinion. No, not as much wildlife. Although, you no. know, they've paved the road all the way to the top of Pike's Peak, so I wonder if that if that stands, because it didn't used to be paved all the way to the top of Pike's Peak, and now it is. Right. But Mount Evans is yeah. higher. It's just a matter of the summit parking lot height <laughs> right right it's yeah. kind of a funny thing it's anyway, about 14,100 and change it was it's up there and and the reason why we go is because mostly we're looking for wildlife there's some cool tundra little there was wildflowers this time of year but not not anything would have been hard to photograph it because it's windy and chilly and whatever but we we look for marmots we look for um mountain goats we look for um bighorn sheep pika um, there's some birds, not, not too many, some ravens and some little sparrows and stuff, but we saw all of those this year. We, uh, yeah. we didn't photograph all of them, but we, we saw them all. Um, most notably different was we saw the bighorn sheep this year, which haven't been around for a long time. No, it was interesting. And, uh, we but they're fun. The goats. The only uh, problem with the bighorns is boy, do they blend into the, the color of the granite up there? Oh my gosh. Well, and that's a good thing if you're trying to stay camouflaged but yeah not a good a thing big horn sheep it's wonderful yeah um so that 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 is um you know and we'll maybe get into that a little bit because there are some challenges if you do this kind of shooting you know you uh not not just you know where do you go and where do you pull over and park um how do you deal with the wildlife so the wildlife is actually pretty easy uh because they don't really care too much about people up there um but let's just start off with um you know, cause we got all those subjects. Um, let's talk a little bit then about what we decided to bring. And, and this was a chain, big change for you from last year, last year, I was able to use, you know, something that had the, um, subject detection and recognition yeah, you, feature. 
you were using you R5, right? You had yeah. the Canon last year. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, yeah, you messed with that and it was kind of a nice, and Wonderful. you traditionally don't do a lot of wildlife shooting. So for you, it was probably a, <laughs> well, I, I do not as much as you do a lesser amount in, in terms of like where you rank it on your portfolio yeah, of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to say never. Uh, yeah, I had the Z9. So that was the first time I've been able to use a camera with true animal face eye detection. Um, and, you know, it, it helps. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but the it it transforms the way you shoot because you're no longer using up your brain cycles trying to keep a focus point on your subject which tends to especially if they're moving which tends to mean your composition gets thrown off because maybe your focus point is in the center of your display you know do you move it to the side oh wait now it's changed directions i gotta move it again over and, and while the camera companies have made moving those focus points be pretty easy to do um nikon just added a high speed focus selection so that really scrolls through the focus mm -hmm. points now if you choose that option um, to the point where it's easy to overshoot <laughs> um, but but with the 3d tracking options and the subject detection options you just have to put your active area zone more or less on the subject and then it finds the rest and then you can do the comp composing i mean that's yeah, kind of what the thing i find is really nice about it is like you said you can put more of your attention on the composition and you can do tricks like um, zooming while maintaining focus while recomposing mm -hmm. all three at the same time which if mm -hmm. you think about it is pretty powerful and it was hard to do in the past to have right. all three of those things going on simultaneously but yeah i was doing it i'm sure you were doing it and it's a very nice thing it just increases the likelihood of getting a keeper that's composed the way that you want and is sharp in the right places. You know, it's it's interesting, too, because I, you know, like to do a lot of wildlife photography. But with wildlife subjects where the setting is not necessarily in your control, um, you know, there's things you can do to change positions. Sometimes we were fortunate in being able to work things where we could move around so the light was at our back you know and mm -hmm. try but you know the animals are going to be where they go where they're going to be they're not always in that photogenic spot and being able you know the the difference between a good shot you know that you get it's in focus whatever decent exposure and a and a more powerful shot is capturing behaviors but also having good backgrounds and decent compositions and this focus technology where the focus point just follows the subject no matter where it goes in your frame, it allows you to really think about those other elements of your photograph and not worry about the subject so much. You know that tunnel vision that we talk about sometimes that mm -hmm. happens? It happens because you're staring at that damn autofocus point in the center, <laughs> your bullseye in the center. And, you know, you're just trying to do your job of keep it on the subject. That's hard. I mean, that is not easy to do. And just to be clear, and you're not saying it wrong, but just to be clear, we're not saying you couldn't do this kind of stuff in the past. No, no, you not could, at all. And we did. It was just a lot harder. Right. The mental. And the likelihood of <laughs> as many keepers 
just wasn't there. Right. Keeper rate, you know, you're because you're because you are working to keep that focus point. Now mm-hmm. the camera is working for you and yeah. you can do things. You know, it's 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 ironic. You'd almost make the argument the manual focus wouldn't have been a bad thing because you could just sort of focus and then it's there and you're looking at the whole frame. Except if the animal moves, you have you know your toast. Yeah, those issues. But but I mean, so I brought a Nikon Z9, um, which is my primary camera these days, and I brought the 100 to 400 Z, the S. Um, I brought the 500 PF, and I brought teleconverters for both. The 500 is an F mount lens, so I used an FTZ adapter. Mm-hmm. I actually got the new FTZ2, so it doesn't have the bump on the bottom. Makes it easier. Yep. Um, and that was what I had. Uh, well, I had others tossed a lens in the bag that I didn't use because, you know, hey, you never know. But those were the two lenses I actually used. What about you? And then I was shooting with a Sony Alpha 1, which is an excellent camera. Um, very similar to a Z9 in many ways. You know, a little bit smaller and stuff. But in terms of the functions in it and what we were doing, very, very similar. And I predominantly used the 100 to 400, which is very, very similar to yours in every way. I used the 200 to 600 zoom also, which was great. It just gets a little bit heavy if you're hand holding it for an extended period of time and you're at 13.8. Yeah. (laughs) And trying hard to breathe at times because you've hold your breath while you're shooting and I do that too, you know, and then all of a sudden you find yourself huffing and puffing. Yeah, there's no air up there. My recreation of uh yeah. that didn't go well. live reenactment of, of yeah. choking on Sorry your own, for that. own air, but it's all yeah. it's all good. Um but yeah that worked out and then we were shooting from the car. So I wasn't, you know, even though I had a backpack, I didn't hike around with it. I wanted no. to go very light. I didn't bring any monopods this time around. I just I did bring one. Um, I did not use it until um, I would say about the last 20 minutes of shooting. And it was just because my arms were getting a little bit tired from the holding the 200 to 600. Because that's like what a four and a half pound lens, right? Something like that. Yeah, That's not light. I mean, no, it's it's manageable, but it gets it. It'll tire you out after a while, especially extended period, especially at 14,000 feet. It'll definitely do that. Yeah. Um, but it worked, they worked well. I did a little bit with a 70, 200, 28 at the start when we had some bighorn sheep that were really close to us. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, threw it at two, eight to blur out the background. It worked great, mm-hmm. but I mainly used the other lenses. Yeah. I mean, I haven't looked through all my shots, but most of them are acceptably sharp, if not perfect. Um, there's a few times, of course, where sometimes subject detection can get fooled. I was fiddling around with with some settings for that you know it's there's no directly easy one size fits all way to override something like subject detection um a lot of times you have to disable it in a menu and that's hard um there's some tricks you can do with the z9 but sometimes they become exclusive to other features that you might want to use the same Mm -hmm. you know so it's not that you can't do it but it's if you do it then you're you're not able to set other things up but I've got some ideas for wildlife settings for my camera now based on just going up there. Um, but, you know, we were talking about being able to focus on, and I say focus, um, concentrate on things like composition, framing, backgrounds. Um, when you're up there at those elevations, when you're shooting wildlife, backgrounds are really important. Um, and 
we were dealing with steep cliffs you know there's rock outcroppings you know marmots on and the difference in the shots that you see where you've got a clean background you know where there's maybe a drop off behind them or just distance and you've got the animal on a clean background versus when it's all up in the rocks or up against stuff it's pretty significant in terms of how the the fit wouldn't you agree you know the the appeal of the photo so my marmot photos when they're kind of just in the rocks you know okay it's in the rocks it's it's thing but doesn't look as nice as when it's on top of the rock and maybe the sky's in the background yeah or you can use a distant part of the mountain or a different mountain that's got a nice color contrast mm-hmm. you know like there were times i'm sure we were both doing the same thing where you could shift your position a little bit mm-hmm. with one of those marmots out on a rock and end up with a nice green background exactly or now, here's blue, like you mentioned in terms of sky or Anything other than the same color as the rock that the marmot was on. And here's the thing why that is so important. Because when you're shooting, photographing mammals, typically, they tend to be different shades of brown. They, They deliberately blend in with their surroundings. So I'm looping back to your comment about the bighorn sheep. Mm -hmm. The bighorn sheep just look like (laughs) Pike's Peak granite. They are. I mean, they really are so incredibly close. So what it's amazing. And I didn't get a lot of them because most of the time they're sitting in the road. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm not going to take a picture of the sheep sitting in the road. But there was one situation where they were coming up to the road from (laughs) the little drop off. So what was behind them was blue sky. Now, brown bighorn sheep, blue sky background. That looks pretty good because you have some contrast now. Same thing with the mountain goats. They're white. Um, you get them with the green background, maybe with the flowers as they're foraging, you know, if you're lucky, Mm -hmm. um, to do that, um, same thing with the marmot, the marmots are Brown. Some of them are darker than others. Some have a little, you know, reddish hue, but you get them in the granite. They kind of just blend in. That's what they do. Um, That's a good thing for them. Not a good thing for, for artists or photographers. So, so those backgrounds really matter. They do. And just a quick and funny bighorn sheep comet so that people have a sense of what it's like to shoot up there at times when we encountered that um, herd of bighorn sheep initially you know and i was using the 70 to 200 there was one that came up within two feet of my my lens i mean it was just came up and basically was just looking at me hello you know looking for some food too much either i mean they're a little little bit skittish yeah, a but, little bit more so. But I mean, for marmots. the most part, for the larger animals, the 100 to 400 was more than enough lens. I didn't need anything. I yeah. only added the teleconverter and then later switched to the 500 when it became evident that marmots were going to be more of our uh, the second morning. So we like to go and spend the night. Um, if you go to a place like this, the activity tends to be a little bit better in the mornings compared to the afternoons. The middle of the day is pretty pretty weak usually and the light is nicer too Mm -hmm. so we we went up like we typically do got up for the evening went up you know before sunset came back for dinner and then got out early the next morning and because this place is um you know for us to drive it's just under two hours it's it's not a far drive but if you're trying to get there by 7 a.m and having to leave your house you know it, it takes almost an hour to get up the mountain and then it's another hour and a half to 
to the base. So like from home. So if you're talking about a three hour drive to get, to get to the top of something by seven 30, that, that you start pushing back those and it's not fun. Uh, no, so spending and, the night there was uh, our, our solution. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't change that because, you know, we got all the mountain goat shots and pretty much all of the bighorn sheep shots um, the night before mm-hmm. we did not see them as much. Right. You know, in they the were morning. there, but they were not in anywhere where we could really, they weren't them. in the, in a great spot for us to photograph them. So there is a big benefit of it, but the mornings tend to be nicer. If you had to pick one time, the morning is nicer. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same thing, um, it's nice to be able to do both. So, yeah. um, I don't know if we lived in Denver, maybe, but it's still, it's a pretty, still an hour to get, you know, whatever. Anyhow, it was fun. We did that. Um, did we, what were, did we have any take home lessons learned? Did you figure out anything new or different or decide you're going to change? I think I had stuff dialed in pretty well. You know, I had mentioned in a previous episode that, you know, I thought I should use the monopod more with the 200 to 600. So I did do that this time, you know, when I started feeling, you know, a little bit tired of holding it, I, I got it. And I think that was wise, kept me shooting for a bit longer. Um, you know, for the most part, I was shooting wide open with those lenses and they, the, the results are sharp. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think you have to fear, um, shooting wide open. I think that's true with the 100 to 400 as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe with the, did you find you needed to stop down a little with the teleconverters? I chose to, I yeah. chose to. And when you have a clean background, F10 is no big deal. So with right. the teleconverter, I'm out at F8 yeah. and then, you know, F11, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, autofocus was not, a, was not an issue with the Z9 at all in those cases. Um, you know, looking at my shots and the reason why I've stopped down sometimes is just because you know, sometimes the focus will grab a nose instead of an eye. And, mm-hmm. just, and, and so then the eye isn't sharp. And I'm just trying to ensure that I get a little more depth of field in, in those cases. Um, but no, I mean, I, I was kind of doing the same thing, auto ISO. I, I kept my shutter speed, I think, a little higher than yours, but a little faster. But again, I was hand-holding. I didn't use the monopod. It wasn't that I didn't trust stabilization. I know that it works. Um, I was just kind of using settings that I kind of have generically in my camera for typically dialed in for birds. So yeah. it was kind of, I, I had mine set at a thousandth of a second and that worked fine. I certainly didn't have trouble hand holding it other than my arms getting tired toward mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. And I didn't have a problem with subjects twitching, you know, it, it was an adequate shutter mm-hmm. speed and kept the ISO slightly lower, which isn't a bad thing. I, I came back with 1200 frames. Of course, this was a lot of burst shooting. It wasn't that I'm, yeah. I'm going to neck that down to probably 30 keepers, but only one was blatantly out of focus where I screwed something up in the, <laughs> I mean, every shot, if it wasn't dead on, it was certainly close. You know, there's my, there might've been somewhere it was a little bit off, but I mean, we're talking 95 plus percent focused shots and usually focused on the face, <laughs> you know, not just, yeah. On the and that's that's really the difference between last year and this year for me was with with the Z7s and stuff that I was shooting, which have the wide area mode, but not a 
you tend to focus more on bodies. It's harder to get the eyes and the faces unless you do some mm -hmm. mass. And it's not impossible. You just it's just harder. It's just a lot harder work. With this, there was no work involved. I could focus on the, the pictures. And and I have to say, the less things you have to worry about when you're up there at elevation and you're dealing climbing over rocks and stuff, hey, that's a good thing. It is. Um, you know, other things I I can think about um, regarding stuff. I the way I had the camera set up, I really did not need to do things like switching shooting banks or whatever. The no. only thing I did was I switched to, you know, from a focusing mode where I had tracking active to one where it was a more straightforward, mm -hmm. continuous focus. If I just wanted to um, put the camera roughly at a certain distance so that acquisition was easier and that was handy but i wasn't doing fancy um configurations triggered by buttons and stuff like that for the kind of stuff i was no. doing wasn't really needed other situations that kind of thing is very useful but i, I didn't have to do it um no, I, just, I mean, it was just a pleasure. Occasionally a focus pattern, but that was an AF yeah. area, but not. Oh, I, I, I know what I was going to say. settings changes for any, yeah. any reason. Did you find any animals that we were shooting to be a little bit harder to get eye detection to work on? Was um, there much of a difference? I have to go back and look. The marmots were the toughest. Really? Uh, well, just they're dark. It just depends. If there was a catch light, no problem. It got yeah. it every time. If there was a catch light, uh, the big horns seem to, uh, or sorry, the mountain goats seem to be pretty easy. But again, I need to go back and look. Sometimes the goats, what they were doing, and this was just their behavior, not the camera. Mm -hmm. They put their head down to graze, and then when they do that, then then sure. it's locking on a body instead of a head. Yeah, um, yeah. And because it's the camera can't d determine that. Um, but otherwise, no, it was it was fine. I, I, for me, it was maybe slightly different. The bighorn sheep were easy. Um, the mountain goat babies were easy. Yeah, they were better. The, the adult mountain goats were slightly harder just because they have beady little eyes, I think. I would agree. Um, I got good shots because of the tracking thing kicking in, even if eye detection didn't kick in. So that kind of accounted uh, for it but most of the time the eye detection did work and then the marmots were super easy for me the eye detection just worked consistently but what the reason i brought it up is it's good yeah. to figure those things yeah. out you know with likely shooting subjects I, just I so you can plan ahead i would say the adult mountain goats were probably the most problematic just due to the way they were behaving in the mm -hmm. the, the, the the babies were no problem um, the marmots were mostly no problem, but occasionally if they were in weird light backlit or, you know, it wouldn't always yeah. see an eye, but it yeah. never had a problem focusing on the marmots. So right. I, have, I now have more marmot photos than I could possibly um, shake. <laughs> so if you're looking for a marmot photo for your wall, we have a deal for you. We, we have marmots. <laughs> we have a lot of them, um, but they're great. They're, they're, they're fun, fun critters. Oh, they got um, a lot of personality. You know, and, and one thing that I was definitely trying to do was to try to capture a little behavior. It's hard, you know, they're just sitting there. Um, but sometimes marmots will make their little alarm call and open their mouth. And I try to catch capture that with burst shooting. It's also they'll stand up on their hind legs. Mm -hmm. So and do you think so? That's kind of fun. Those tend to be better shots than just, you know, standing on a rock yeah, know, or, or sitting on a rock. Or whatever. Yeah. 
but background, background, background. I think that's the, mm-hmm. the, the, the lesson from these places is going around and working and, and being willing to, you know, there's times when you get somewhere and you haven't seen this animal before and you just want to shoot photos of it because you just want to. Um, and then you've had that opportunity. And then there's time you say, you know what, that's a great animal, but it's not anywhere I can really photograph it. I'm not going to go through that motion of going out there and getting set up to take some pictures of something that's, you know, in a crevice backlit or some, yeah. you know, where there aren't good backgrounds and you can be picky and say, I'm going to go find one where it's in a better spot. doesn't always work that way, but, but it's nice when you can. Yeah. Yeah. When you can devote some time, time to get there, getting the right background and the right composition, it always pays dividends. So we're going to always read, add another, um, we should add another entry, you know, a term in the, if you use like uh, um, one of those apps that tells you about, you know, you've got your blue hour, your golden hour. And now we also had the marmot hour because apparently between about <laughs> between 7.30 and 9 a.m. on the mountain, that was the marmot hour. They were just yep. everywhere. <laughs> was, they really were. It was pretty funny. Okay. Well, um, I think that's all I have on that one. I, uh, like I said, I'm still sifting through my shots. So um, drop us a line over on Facebook if you've got a question for us. Uh, we'd love to hear it. And until next time, happy shooting. All right. Bye-bye.